Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this podcast episode with Dr. William Walsh, and we're answering the question, what multivitamin might be causing depression in our babies? The epigenetics of attachment trauma. I invited Dr. Walsh to come speak to my people for a webinar. It was powerful, amazing, and so I had to share this with you. Dr. Walsh is the author of a book called Nutrient Power, and his approach is what helped me understand my own biology of trauma and be able to get off two antidepressants and feel well because I know how to support my biology. This is a part one of a two-part podcast series. In this episode, we talk about pregnancy, epigenetics, and oxidative stress, and what women should be careful to take during pregnancy for the best mental health of their growing baby. In section one, we specifically talk about folate, B12, and pregnancy. Section two, genetics versus epigenetics in utero. Section three, the role of oxidative stress. And my favorite quote comes from this section. Oxidative overload is something we don't hear a lot about regarding pregnancy, but is something that can really damage, permanently damage this child's ability to function. Oh my goodness. Don't leave me hanging, Dr. Walsh. Tell me more. Don't stop there. Section four, we go into low serotonin depression and the tools that we have. In this episode, we follow the story of Kimberly someone who after a year of taking my 21-day journey in biology of trauma courses, I said, Kim, it's time you take this to the next level and be a mentor. So now she is. And at the time of this recording, she has just finished mentoring her first 21-day journey successfully, which she talks about in her story here and says how she was even able to do that because she has not always been the person who could do that kind of thing. So let's get started. We're going to have Kim describe herself for us. And then we will go right into section one on pregnancy, environment, and the role of folate specifically. My name is Kimberly. I live in Northern Minnesota. I think for me, I don't notice when I don't feel good. You know, like when I'm just not feeling well, it doesn't stand out. But then when I, there's a shift and I feel better, I can look back and say, wow, I really was not feeling well. Yeah, I think that looked a lot like freezing a lot. That might be kind of a conflict, whether it was with the kids or with my husband, where I'm just like, I just walk away. Like, I just can't be with this. And I retreat somewhere, you know, whether I go to my room or I might just disappear out to the garden or just wherever it kind of felt safer for me, I guess. And just not having that capacity to really just stay present with people once I felt this kind of, I don't know, inner turmoil happening or, you know, and it's just like, I just can't deal with this. So I think of that. And then I think of that kind of happening in therapy, right? Just kind of like this shutdown freeze and like, I I just can't, can't be present for this. I think of like really not sleeping well. And, and I think that probably I mean, I guess I don't know for sure, but in that time, you know, I was really struggling with getting enough sleep. I would spend a lot of time like in bed, but not sleeping. 
and then feeling tired, you know, so unmotivated to do things and needing deadlines to like get things done, you know, to get enough, like, yeah, I have a deadline. I have to do this. I have, you know, something new to be motivating. Those are things I think of. Here is section one with Dr. Wall sharing on how our mental health is all about the environment in the uterus during pregnancy and will actually give us clues to why Kimberly has had the specific challenges she described. Okay, starting with what goes on during the nine months of a pregnancy is really quite extraordinary. It's very complex. It's so complex that a person could not predict in advance what a a particular chemical or nutrient or drug might do during the development of the baby. It's that complex. There are literally billions and really trillions of combinations that might occur. However, we're now getting to the point where we can actually find out exactly what's happening doing cord blood studies. So I want to mention that. And uh, somebody, some smart people about 10 years ago realized, hey, the cord blood, the umbilical cord blood contains the DNA of the baby. So now they're doing cord blood studies that are just absolutely fascinating where uh, they're, they're taking tens of thousands of expectant mothers and maybe giving them plenty of, you might say, folates or B12 or whatever, and they can determine exactly or, or quite accurately what the effect on the baby's DNA and their epigenetics is. And I think that's going to lead to a lot. And one thing we've learned is that uh, we know that folates are really, well, they're given t- across the world to everyone to make sure to avoid spinal bifida and some other nasty diseases. But what we're learning is that, yeah, folates have a really powerful impact on the architecture of the brain and on development. And if you have too little, you're likely to have a child with, with a number of problems, serious problems. What we're learning is that we now know that uh, there's a wide range of folate levels genetically in, in human beings. And many mothers, expectant mothers, by genetics, have excessive amounts of folate. And if they get extraordinarily too much folate, it makes them prone to other disorders. So I think within five or 10 years, uh, doctors are going to monitor their the mothers and might make sure they don't get a, they don't have an excess because the surprising thing is folates and B12 given to during the first early pregnancy, it causes undermethylation in the baby. Now it's yeah. counterintuitive, but it's, it has a power effect. But the point I'm making is it's really important what the nutrients and really what condition of the mother is. It's the, the environment of at, in the uterus, really. And, and we know that if a person has depression or has great stress, whether it's emotional or even physical stress, that that really affects the development of the child. Yep. And so we, we, uh, I think we have a pretty good idea now uh, of what needs to be done. Oxidative overload is something we don't hear a lot regarding pregnancy, but it, that's something that can really damage, permanently damage and impair this child's ability to function. I do think of the um, pieces like, I really don't know about in utero, but when I think of like attachment that I could see the impact of say, low serotonin or dopamine 
I have this perspective that I was difficult, you know, as a young child, that I was difficult for my mom. I'm pretty sure I have like avoidant attachment. So I think it would make sense to me that it could have been there all along, right? Impacting all these different places in my life that I, I didn't really realize. And what I found that helped me when I was young was, oh, I can achieve. You know, I can like do this stuff and that's how I can feel good about myself. Most of us don't know about our in utero experience. Some of us do. Many do not. And even if we do, we don't know all of the contributing factors. But what we can look at are the downstream effects of our in utero experience. Kimberly actually just gave us a big clue into what biology she has that would have started in utero that actually predisposed her to then developing the avoidant attachment style that she talked about. When we think of in utero, we often think of genetics. And yet when it comes to trauma, epigenetics plays a much larger role than what we have thought. In this section, Dr. Walsh explains the difference between genetics and epigenetics or methylation which is so often the cause of many disorders and how we can actually support our epigenetics to change that. For those who may not be totally familiar with it, uh, we all know about how genetics affect people and certain conditions run in families. Well, the genetics strictly sort of defines the quality of the expressed proteins. We have about 21,000 genes, each one of them has a, a single job and has to express a protein or a few variants of that protein. So every cell in our body is constantly nourished by these proteins. And however, the DNA is the same in every, every cell in your body. And yet every tissue, every cell line uh, has to have a unique composition. And so I think of it almost like a restaurant where you have this huge menu of, of the various proteins and it's not just the proteins themselves, but it, what really matters is how much of each one of those is produced in each one of the cells. And that's what <laughs> epigenetics is. Epigenetics has to do the rate of gene expression. So <laughs> genetics defines the quality or the structure or the, you might, I think of it as the quality of that protein. Epigenetics determines how much is made in each part of the body. So um, the epigenetics we're finding is often the cause of so many disorders. We know, we know that schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress, uh, some of these major autism for sure, yeah. uh, a lot of these major disorders are epigenetic. Now, epigenetics changes throughout the day. For example, I just had, my wife just made me dinner. Well, the food I ate made changes in my epigenetics. In other words, it, it has caused some of the genes to express themselves differently. However, this, this happens all day, every day, and even, even emotional events and illnesses and all, it changes your epigenetics yep. somewhat. However, most of this is transient and easily reversed, mm -hmm. and, and it goes away usually very quickly. Yep. However, if you have a sufficient insult you could actually alter permanently your epigenetics. To support her biology, epigenetics, and methylation, Kimberly started taking 5-HTP and has been measuring the changes. 
probably the biggest thing that I monitor that maybe is a little more concrete is I've used a monitor for my HRV, so heart rate variability, for like the last year. And so it's gone from like last winter, you know, being as low as like 16 and then maybe, you know, ranging up to 25, you know, back and forth in the 30s, maybe more in the spring. I'm like right now, since I started taking that 5-HTP in the morning and shifting a few other things, like it's running at 45 to like 55, which to me is a huge shift. I had done different things like, how can I get this to move? And, and then my resting heart rate also dropping kind of like in a similar way. So in thinking of what changes I made, and if I go back to like the 21 day journey that I first took, so starting the somatic, you know, practicing, practicing it, you know, every day coming up with which ones, which in the beginning were just really safety exercises. Those were really just the ones that I was drawn to. And then, um, you know, repeating that. And I had already done a little bit of parts work. I feel like parts work has been a big piece in, in trying to incorporate some of the things that Dr. Amy's done. I'm trying to remember what it was called, like her story, story workshop. I think that's, that's what it was. And which was a kind of another form of parts and kind of looking at how you reacted to a situation. So trying to use that. Yeah. So, so overall, I would say for me, the most helpful things are, again, practicing the somatic work so that it's something that I immediately just turn to. Like I will kind of like can instinctively just decide like, oh, this is what my body needs right now, right? Um, and it might be rocking, right? That's often for me. And then noticing my parts and that whether I'm really in self, self-energy, or if I have a part that's really kind of blending and like a big part of what's happening for me in that moment, just trying to recognize that. And then really like these supplements, just really taking care of my biology in a way that lets it work with me and help me to be as present as I can be. Despite what I would say, like a lot of chronic stress, just because of my kids and their sort of inability to really cope in very healthy ways a lot of times. Kimberly was actually talking about the art narrative workshops that I will do for those who have taken the 21-day journey. And I will walk them through a neurobiological informed narrative through art, walking them through the trauma response that their body would have had at that time. It's quite powerful. I love that we can measure the health of our nervous system and heart rate variability and our resting heart rate can be one of those objective measurements. And the change that she has had with the support she is bringing in for her biology. This is confirmation that she is supporting her unique biology. This needs to be personalized. And for her, it's personalizing it for an undermethylation status with low serotonin activity. Now that we understand epigenetics, Let's look at what would cause permanent changes, oxidative stress. You know, oxidative stress is often the cause of epigenetic triggers that cause our body to crash and it never go back to the same level of health again. PTSD, in fact, appears to be due to oxidative stress 
building in the cells and causing an epigenetic trigger on a DNA level. Oxidative stress is also a root cause just for decreased capacity for life, for presence, increased stress, getting stuck in grief, not being able to access joy, and having a harder time navigating change in our life. We need to be informed about oxidative stress and have tools. So let's listen in. Well, it has to do with DNA repair. Every yep. one of our DNAs, and we've got, we've got roughly 25 trillion DNAs. Every one of them, every day, is actually ripped apart and damaged horribly about 10,000 times a day. And, and it's really quite miraculous how the body, every cell actually has the ability to quickly repair it. Uh, an epigenetic disorder, and I, I use that term to mean a permanent condition, one that's not going to go away. And this is when you have a sufficient assault on your DNA that's not repaired, not repairable. So then what you have is a permanent condition. An epigenetic disorder like schizophrenia or bipolar, uh, one of the characteristics is many cases of sudden changes later in life. In other words, a person might be zooming along just fine in life. And then over a matter of a day or, or a week, dramatic changes. We might call it a mental breakdown or it could be an autism regression. Those are epigenetic conditions where the, the DNA repair could not be, could not be recovered. And, and so the combination of the oxidative assault that tends to damage the DNA and, and our machinery, our ability to repair. Because genetically, uh, when a person is born, some people have really great innate protection against oxidative stress. Your body might... Yep produce all the glutathione and metallothionine and mm-hmm. on and on. We have an army of about 12 really wonderful natural antioxidants and it all involves genetic expression. Well, some of us, some people, I don't like me. <laughs> yep, I'm one of those that, that uh, does not do glutathione very well. I, I had Angela to be 109 and she was sharp all the way. Well, I think she had remarkable genetics for DNA yep. repair. Yep. Also, I think she had, very good protection against oxidative stress. I think she just got mm-hmm. lucky. And, and that's why some families have longevity and others mm-hmm. do not. And yep. uh, we know that aging, it all has to do with DNA integrity. The protection of the DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because from the day we're born, our DNA begins to deteriorate a little by little by little. And that's what aging is. Aging is changes in our DNA that's nourishing our cells and the nourishment become altered and, and not as effective. And, and then when if you have a, a, a really major insult, which, which can be uh, emotional yep. or physical, uh, we now know that there's, there's solid published data showing that this can cause an epigenetic change. No, I think on the biology side, I think the first thing that really resonated with me was like the kind of the brain inflammation, right? This idea of like um, not being able to think clearly and yeah, just just feeling, I don't know, so much going on in that way. And I did the brain, brain health, whatever module, and that, you know, went through everything, went through brain inflammation and the imbalances and, and things like that. Yeah, I really, I really thought of brain inflammation. And then 
the undermethylation kind of stuck out to me too, because as you know, Dr. Amy would describe it and it was like, wow, like I've kind of been like this overachiever, competitive, like follow these, like I graduated when I was 16 and then I went right into engineering and, you know, got an electrical engineering degree and went and worked for a software company and just always felt like I had to like be doing things. And, and then even some of the other pieces of like, like seasonal allergies, being kind of strong-willed and always needing something new to keep my interests, keep doing. So all of those pieces made me think like, it seemed pretty likely to me. So not, I haven't done the testing on that, but I have done, um, trying to think of what I, well, I started taking um, the tryptophan to sleep. So I had done that first. And then now I actually take it in the morning. Well, I take 5-HTP now, 100 milligrams in the morning. And I take 100 milligrams at night. And I've tried more and it's bothered my um, GI system, you know, so like I kind of know I can only take so much. But I think between all of those things and then taking some of the things that are for the brain inflammation, I don't, I mean, it's changed quite a bit, like how I feel, my mood, my ability to like be present. So like I have a therapist, right? And she's like, you are so much more present than you were a year ago. Like when we um, discuss maybe difficult material, like you don't just shut down and go into freeze. You're able to stay present and process more things. And, and I think so much of that is related to all of these, the, this biology piece to a large, and the somatic pieces too. But I think the biology has been a big part of that. Stored trauma and its effects on our biology, including the oxidative stress, rob us of our ability to be present. If you aren't present to your best degree possible, you won't be able to do as much therapy and healing. We can learn to support our biology of trauma. We can help the body come out of the trauma responses, the stress and the chronic free states and be more present. We will even be more present for therapy and be able to process and heal faster. That's why I named my business Trauma Healing Accelerated. Yet personalizing it is so important. Let's first hear how Kimberly had to personalize her 5-HTP for addressing her low serotonin undermethylation balance. And then Dr. Walsh in this last section of the podcast will expound on the low serotonin depression and how we can use epigenetics to help people. What was wonderful in terms of treating people with mental illness is that we learned that we could use epigenetics to help people. For example, yeah. if a person has a low, say, low serotonin depression, mm -hmm. which is very common, we now know that has to do with reuptake. And there is a gene called a reuptake gene called CERT, S-E-R-T. We can, we can change the expression of that gene. It's an epigenetic therapy. So if we get a patient who has low serotonin activity, yes, you could help them with Prozac or Paxil or something like that. And, and they work by uh, the CERT gene de develops these proteins that go into your, your neuron membranes. And they're the passageways for this thing called reuptake, for the yep. rapid return of neurotransmitters 
after the cell fires. What Prozac does is it interferes with the function of those passageways, those transport mm-hmm. proteins. And that's why that can help people increase their, their serotonin activity and, and actually cure depression in many people. Well, we learned we could do it with nutrients. There are yep. nutrients. In, in this case, it happens to be um, methionine or, or SAMI. And that causes a shutdown of that expression. So what happens is that your neurons don't have as many of these passageways and it inhibits reuptake. And it works, it really works very similar to a drug, mm-hmm. but it has no side effects. And we've done this now, I would guess 20,000 times. And I just started taking 5-HTP, like, I think in June, in the mornings. And I should think about that for a minute. So I went and saw a naturopathic doctor and, you know, just kind of talked to her about different things. And she um, was the one who was, she wanted me to take 200 milligrams every morning. And so I tried that and it just, it really bothered me. Like it bothered my GI system, but I felt really good. I felt like I had um, more energy to a certain degree, but also just like this, like I can step out and do these things that I want to do. I can um, do the mentoring. Like, I really think I can do it. Like, I, I think I'm ready to like, it was like this umph. I don't know. You know, I mean, there were things I wanted to do. You know, I would think like, oh, I kind of want to do mentoring. Kind of want to do, you know, these different things, but just can't quite get myself to get over some, you know, bump. I don't know. And so it wasn't like all of a sudden everything's different. But it, it, it feels like it was big, but I want to be able to help other people. And part of it is just like even recognizing, right, that there are options. Yeah, like these things exist. So you don't have to live in this chronic stress and almost fighting with your body, right? And so I guess my hope for the future, which I'm like actively working on is to be able to um, work with people kind of like a wellness coach, you know, and, and I keep working on pieces of that. I mean, like I have a website, I have, you know, this training that I've done, right. Dr. Amy's training. I've done other training I'm doing IFS training, but wanting to use all of these pieces, somatic parts work, and then how to support someone's biology And I'd like to be able to do it locally if I can get enough interest, right? And, you know, versus having to do Zoom for everything. So I'm trying to like start some groups, kind of do some classes where um, I would share like things I've learned through being a mentor, a lot of things that Dr. Amy has shared and trying to do it here and there in small groups that I'm already in. That's not the purpose of the group right? But that I can add on to that group in that way. And then I would love to see something for kids, some way to bring this work to kids. And, and, you know, I sprinkle it with my kids here and there, but I don't feel like I have necessarily something I could teach other people. Like, here's how you do this with kids. That I would love to see. And that concludes this podcast episode with Dr. Walsh. 
We talked about the role of methylation or epigenetics in trauma, especially low serotonin undermethylation and tools to use like SAMe and 5-HTP to support the serotonin. In part two of this podcast series with Dr. Walsh, you will learn about when it would be dangerous to use SAMe for depression because it is actually not a low serotonin depression. You need to know what biology of trauma you or your clients have. It is not all the same and your best intentions can make things worse. So hop over, listen to part two when you have time. And like Kimberly, I wish for you a hope for the future and a vision of what is possible. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.